Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. My loves, my loves. This week's question goes like this. I have anxiety and depression and self-diagnosed ADHD and am in the early stages of attempting to get an official diagnosis. And I recently talked with my therapist about getting on an SSRI for mood stabilization. I've never taken medication for mental illness and I have a lot of internalized fear and caution around trying psych meds, even though I think I could really benefit from them. The roots of my fears are too complex to get into here, but to summarize, I'm scared of parts of myself being altered or dulled, and I think deep down that I'm over-exaggerating my mental struggles and should be able to function without medication, even though logically, I know that my struggles are valid and that there's no shame or harm in trying to seek help through pharmaceuticals. My question is, do you have any advice on how to ease anxiety around getting on medication for mental illness and unlearning internalized stigma around it? And their birth information is December 5th, 1996 at 4.55 p.m. in Columbus, Ohio. So this is a really important question. And it's an important question, not just on the topic of mental illness or uh, medication, It's an important question because kind of at its core is how do I make decisions and how do I check in with those decisions to make sure that they're still working for me? So I am not a mental health practitioner. I am not a therapist. I am not a doctor. And so, you know, my views and opinions and my take on things are that of an astrologer. That's it. Okay. Grain of salt, my loves. Be a critical thinker, right? When we make decisions in life, whether they're kind of big ones like taking medication or they're smaller ones like, should I cut bangs? You want to remember that there are certain decisions that are absolutely life altering and meaningful and important, but they're not permanent. They're not even irreversible, right? What that means is in those cases that we can take steps to track the progress of the consequences of our choices. So I paused a little there. And I paused a little there because I'm being hella Saturnian right now when I say to you that life is a series of action and consequence, or inaction, which is an action and consequence. And so if we can, instead of like recoil from that or have whatever kind of feelings we have, if we can take pains to understand, oh, okay, so if there's a consequence to me cutting bangs today and that consequence is I fucking hate it, then I can grow them out, right? I can wear a hat. There are things that I can do to offset the consequences that I'm not enjoying and move towards living a life without bangs. Now, this is totally an example because I have bangs. I stand for bangs. Okay. Now, to your much more serious and important question, I'm going to give you some really practical steps on what to do here. But before I do, I, of course, pulled up your birth chart. And I want to acknowledge where some of this panic and fear comes from. In your birth chart, you've got tons of things going on. 
One of them is a Saturn square to Mercury. You have Saturn in Aries and it's square to Mercury in Capricorn. And this Mercury in Capricorn placement is always, it's, you know, regardless of everything else, it inclines a person towards being kind of a pragmatic or literal thinker. Because it's forming a square to your Saturn, that's intensified. The Saturn-Mercury square can incline a person to being really perfectionistic and hypervigilant. So it's not surprising to me that you question your own assessments and that you question your own experience and that your critical analytic nature sometimes becomes a tool that you use to liberate yourself and make things better and sometimes becomes a tool that you use against yourself to punish yourself and keep yourself uh, from growing and changing, right? That's the downside of this, this square. The upside is that it makes you really capable of changing when you set your sights on creating and sustaining change. Now, also, you have an interception in your sixth house. So let me unpack that. I've talked about interceptions a bunch on the podcast. I dropped a astrology hot take episode about interceptions, and I've talked about them in different uh, chart breakdowns in other episodes. But very briefly speaking, an intercept sign, you're never going to see those if you use whole sign houses or equal houses. With the other house systems, you're more likely to see them, especially with Campanus houses, which is the system I use in no small part because I love interceptions. When you have 30 degrees, all 30 degrees of a zodiac sign in a given house, however, that zodiac sign is not on the entry cusp of the house or the exiting cusp of the house. That's when you have an intercept sign. And, you know, usually when you have an intercept sign in the birth chart, that means you have another zodiac sign uh, doubling up on multiple houses. But I digress. In your chart, my dear, you have Scorpio intercept in your sixth house. That interception can incline you towards wanting to fix all of your health issues on your own and by yourself. And that's not in your best interest. It's kind of a way of hiding your intensity, hiding the parts of yourself that may be hard for other people to understand or to work with. And there's something really powerful and really beautiful about you activating that intercept energy in efforts to become more whole. And in this case, and you know, I could talk about this in many levels, but in this case with this specific question, what I'm going to recommend that you do is not just, you know, sure, take the medication and work with it, which again, I'm going to give you clear advice in a moment, but you have the planet Venus in the middle of the sign of Scorpio. So it's right smack dab at 16 degrees of Scorpio, which is the center of that interception in your sixth house. And so for you, relationships and partnering are tricky. They're complicated. They can take all of your energy or you can really feel out of control with them. There's a lot of ways this can play out. But in the context of working with a mental health professional, in the context of having a dedicated person who you can partner with to really check in with your intensity, to validate your intensity, not pathologize it, not blame it for things, not try to hide it, but to really have a relationship where it's safe and healthy for you to bring all your messy feelings to that dynamic. That on its own is healing and transformative for you. And so 
I want to say that you are the perfect candidate for therapy. And when I say therapy, I'm not specifically talking about like a tarot reader who's therapeutic or an astrologer who's therapeutic. I'm talking about a shrink. You know what I mean? And the reasons why are kind of, you know, vast. But something that talk therapy offers that all manner of woo does not is that it's an hour or however long your your session is in which you talk about you, you self-disclose, you take your thoughts and your feelings and you form them with language, right? And being able to name things, to self-disclose, to say them out loud to someone else, that is therapeutic. <laughs> That's a huge part of what therapy is, IMO. Again, not a therapist, but IMO. And if you go to somebody like me, an astrologer, we do most of the talking. We prompt you. We tell you what you are. That can be incredibly therapeutic. Obviously, I think so. But it's not the same. It's just not the same, right? This is where I get into the advice. Step one, and you may have already taken the step, get a therapist you really are compatible with, somebody that you trust, somebody that you can partner with on your healing journey. And that doesn't mean they have to be perfect. And it doesn't mean that they have to be an expert in all the things that are important to you. But it means that the relationship is one netted in compatibility. They have good boundaries with you. They make you feel seen. They are someone you can trust, right? And there's, I'm sure, a much better breakdown of how to evaluate what is a good therapeutic match for you. But Step one is getting a therapist that you can work with. And it kind of sounds from your question that you have done that. And ask them, set it up with them to have them partner with you on evaluating your journey with medication, right? Because part of what I think can happen to people is we get prescribed medication for mental illness. And then we don't have a professional partner who we see every week and talk to about how it is or isn't working. And it's sometimes hard to know what's happening as a result of medication, what's happening as a result of like, I slept really well last night, or I slept really poorly last night, or whatever it is. And so having somebody who actually is like an expert in tracking the shit is really helpful. And it's soothing for the anxious and perfectionistic parts of your nature. So what I would advise you to do is sit down with your therapist partner and write a list. Like seriously, like go old school, write a damn list and just bullet point why why are you getting these medications or why, why are you getting this one medication? You know, what is it supposed to be medicating? What needs to be soothed, supported, or aided by this medication? Just bullet point it out so that you know what it is that you are seeking help for before you are influenced by the medication itself. You can then notate, if it feels helpful, again, as a list, what it is that you're worried about. And this is a way not of making it worse for you, but clarifying with and for your therapist the things that you need support in looking out for, right? And that might mean you need support in not projecting on, you know, onto those topics or issues, or you might need support in tracking it. If you're concerned about being dulled or somehow changed by a medication, it gets kind of complicated. Like if you've already been dulled, then how do you evaluate if you're feeling dull? Get, I don't know. I mean, that, I could see how that's a brain twizzler. So this is where you name the things with your partner therapist, and they can support you in checking in on those things as time goes on. So after about a month to three months, you know, different medications take different amount of time to kick in. And of course, your doctors should tell you what to expect. 
Set the intention with your therapist partner. And I keep on calling them a therapist partner, partially because that's what I want you to think of it as. And partially because you've got that Venus intercept in your sixth house. And this partnership, I'm not encouraging you to think of this like in a codependent way, but instead as a like, you both have value to bring to this conversation, right? Like this is a partner and all partnerships are subject to ebbs and flows. And if this partnership with this therapist doesn't work out, that's not any kind of indication of you necessarily. It's just something to evaluate and work on. And, you know, there's no shame in outgrowing therapeutic relationships. There's no shame in things working or not working or whatever it is. It's just about being present with what is. Okay, so you're on the medication for as much amount of time as it is expected that you would have consequences or you would feel the effects, right? And what you're going to do is you're going to create a checklist of what's in need of care or support right now right? And what you'll do is once a week or once a month, whatever feels right for you when you meet with your therapist partner, what you're going to do at some point in the session is revisit your checklist. And on a scale from one to 10, evaluate where are things that might look like if you're taking a pharmaceutical to support you with depression, then you can notate, okay, on a scale from one to 10, my depression is a seven, And if over the course of weeks, you start off at a seven and you come down to a four, I call that success. And if over the course of weeks, it stays at a seven, that's important information. Or if it gets worse, that's important information. What you want to do every week alongside checking in and using this kind of like numbered system is to stay in contact with not just what's happening in your experience, but also to explore what is behavioral. And what is specifically a response to like your body chemistry, like the drug itself, right? And it might not be that clear, like either or, but it's really valuable to see how your behavior does or doesn't impact your mental and emotional wellness, right? So what you would be doing with this partner therapist is tracking your lived experience so that you can have a greater sense of understanding and ownership over what is or isn't happening for you. And also, if in your worst case scenario, the drug doesn't work for you in whatever kind of way or whatever else it is that you're scared of, then you can work with a professional to get yourself off the drugs and take a different approach. The thing about taking drugs for mental illness is there is stigma around it, you know, and I hope that this happens less and less over the course of time, because the reality of the situation is if you have allergies, you might be prescribed a medication for those allergies. And you know what? They might not work. You might need to take a different medication for your allergies. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that, you know, because the first allergy medication didn't work, that you don't really have allergies or you're overreacting or anything like that. It just means that Drugs are not perfect, not prescription drugs, not recreational drugs. Drugs are not perfect. Bodies are not perfect. People are not perfect. And that's great. That's what it's supposed to be. And so the work here is to give yourself permission to support and care for your system in the ways that you need and to have some flexibility there. And I know that there's very little stigma around allergies and there's a lot of stigma around mental health. But the more that we demystify these things, the more that we talk about these things and share these things, 
I think that's getting less and less. But to answer your question kind of directly, the only way to unlearn internalized stigma is to not abandon yourself when the thoughts and feelings around the stigma emerge. There's no, there's no like magic bullet for this one. It's staying with it. And honestly, I think you're already doing the damn work. Whatever you choose to do, my hope for you is that you don't abandon yourself in your process. You find good partners for your health and wellness and that you maintain some measure of flexibility and inquisitiveness along the way. Compassion in Oakland was formed in response to the surge of anti-Asian attacks in California's Bay Area. It started with a simple social media post offering to chaperone anyone within Oakland's Chinatown neighborhood to help them feel safer. Since then, over 400 volunteers of all different backgrounds have come forward from across the Bay Area to stand against AAPI hate. Thus was born the movement for the community to come together to support and protect our Asian elders. Compassion in Oakland is now looking for volunteers to serve in several different roles. Check out their website to donate, learn more about volunteering, or start a Compassion Project in your own area. Go to CompassionInOakland.org, link in show notes. Darlings, 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 I am so excited to talk about this week's astrology, this week's little horoscope, because there's nothing too terrible going on. Congratulations. But before I get into details, you know, I'm going to say a couple things. The first is, if you haven't already joined me over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Jessica Lignato, uh, you might as well just do it now because it is the only place where you get 15% off of Astrology for Days while it's in beta. It's very exciting. Astrology for Days, my new web-based app for astrology students of all levels and pros, if I may say, is very fucking charming. It is a delight. It tracks the timing of transits for when they're exact. It has an ephemeris for every month, and it has limitless space to take notes. So when this big mouth, I'm talking about myself, goes on and on about the transits, you can just pop all your notes into the damn calendar. It's very exciting. And because I have Venus in the first house, it is customizable by color and it is very fucking cute. I'm just telling you, it is cute. So uh, yeah, astrology for days. It's the tool that every astrology student and professional needs for their toolkit. That's a real thing. And on a completely different topic, I trust that you know that India is in major trouble. It's such a large country with so many people. And what's happening with COVID-19 there is devastating. It is hard to wrap your head around. And I really want to call on each and every one of you to learn what's happening, even though it's hard to look at, and to give what you can. I've put links in show notes to a bunch of different orgs that are helping that you can give to. Whatever you have to give is great. And in particular, if you're a person who practices yoga, especially if you're not an Indian person who teaches or profits from or practices yoga or any other practice that comes from India, this is, a, this is the time for you to, you know, signal boost and pony up, give some ducats. And, and I know you know this. So maybe, maybe this little gentle reminder is exactly what you needed to giddy up. I have links and show notes. You can do your own investigation, but don't do nothing. 
that's that's the one thing I'm going to throw at you. Don't do nothing. And that's it. We're going to get straight into the horoscope this week. And we are looking at the astrology for May 2nd through the 8th of 2021. Now, I can't believe that it's already May. I don't know about you. It feels like, is it still 2020? Is it 2021? I can't tell. I can't tell. But here we are, May 2nd. And on this date, we have two exact transits. The first one is a Mercury trying to Pluto. And the second is a Venus sextile to Neptune. I'm going to tell you what these two mean, but then we're going to have to backtrack it and put it in context of a couple transits that are happening tomorrow that are overlapping today. So they're Influence will be felt today, but they're exact tomorrow. So Mercury trine to Pluto. I love this transit. It's a great transit. While trines are not always that spectacular, anything that hits Pluto is deep and intense. Mercury is friendships. It's how you listen. It's how you communicate. It's what you understand and how you express that. Mercury trying to Pluto can concern you with kind of deeper things, uh, either things associated with liberation or healing or kind of being able to get to the bottom of a thing. So if it's like literally trying to find the answer to a question that's just been like scratching at the back of your brain, Mercury trying to Pluto is a great time for it. If you've been looking for an old friend's like contact info and you can't find it, today's the day try to find it. Mercury trying to Pluto is a great time for connecting with others. So Mercury is inherently platonic in its energies. So it's the friendship foundation in any relationship, be it professional, familial, romantic, or an actual friendship. This is a good time for being interested in others and for them being interested in you and having a lovely exchange. If you were in the market of doing research about what organizations you want to donate to or signal boost, this transit will help you out. Mercury trying to Pluto can be a time that is just really expansive and fun, but not at the expense of what's real because Pluto brings that depth and intensity to Mercury and it can focus Mercury. Now, at the same time, Venus is forming an exact sextile to Neptune. And this transit is empathetic in nature, really just very humanistic and empathetic. It can be a time where you feel really romantic. And this could be both a beautiful, tender thing, or it could be a thing that is has you kind of wearing rose colored glasses, right, where you're just maybe projecting too much ideal onto something or someone or placing someone on a pedestal. Not a massive worry about that, but it is a way that the transit can go just because of the nature of these two planets when they talk to each other. Venus sextile to Neptune. Again, it's great for your relationships. You know, having these two transits happening exactly at the same day, that's great for relationships because Venus sextile to Neptune is just like honest flirting. It's sensual or sense-based connections that are intimate and delightful and life-affirming, right? It's seeing others for who they truly are and allowing others to see you. Beautiful. On a more social level, these transits can simply mean, again, a greater sense of empathy, a greater sense of connection and humanitarian concern, which, hey, big fans, we're big fans of that, right? So these transits can indicate something as simple as having a lovely interaction with someone online or having an interpersonal exchange that is just really soothing and lovely and honest. 
that's great. It can also be a time where if you are a creative person or you need to be creative in the use of something, that you make some sort of meaningful, if not subtle, adjustment or progress. Just lovely, right? These energies are inherently social. And then this is where I kind of like give you that data and then walk it back because on the third, there are two exact transits and one of them is a sun square to Saturn. So sun square to Saturn is depressing. You know, Saturn governs depression and sun is your will. It's your light. It's your identity. And so the sun square to Saturn can influence those other two transits kind of by dampening them, making you feel a little bit more conservative or self-protective, a little bit more shy or focused on consequences, right? Like a focused on like, well, if I tell them that I like them, will they reject me or will they feel the same way? So maybe I won't tell them. This is a great transit for dealing with the truth. And when I say truth, honestly, truth is more the jurisdiction of Jupiter and there is an exact transit to Jupiter today, so bear with me. With Saturn, it's more about dealing with reality, with what is, not what could be, not what might have been, but what is. Sun square to Saturn wants a confrontation with reality. Sun square to Saturn wants us to get aligned with what is not working so we can make adjustments to make them work or to move along. The downside of this transit is it can make you feel lonely or exhausted or bummed. It's a three-day transit in total. You're going to be feeling it the second, third, and fourth. It's exact on the third. So it's not the end of the world. And because it's such a short transit, you can make use of it, right? Because it's not forever. Now, here's where things get complex. On the third, we also have a Mercury square to Jupiter. That is exact. So now we're getting into combo platters, right? And this is where, you know, if I can just pull back for a moment, if you're studying astrology or you're a pro, this is where, you know, the astrologer's touch is needed because when we're looking at each individual transit, when we're looking at them throughout the week, you know, for a horoscope, or we're looking at them in an individual's birth chart, it's not just about the transit itself, right? It's about how that works in concert with the other transits and how that works in concert with you and where you're at. So astrology offers us layers and layers of data that we as individual practitioners must synthesize and interpret. And that's where there's so much wiggle room with astrology is the synthesis and the interpretation, right? So it is a tricky thing and it takes just practice. Okay, so back to this, Mercury square to Jupiter. Now, Mercury square to Jupiter is an important transit. It's an important transit in the context of the world we are living in. So on its own, this is not like the most noteworthy of transits in my experience. However, in the context of this heightened time of propaganda and of this kind of notion that things that are actually factual are opinion, right? These kinds of things, when we have so much propaganda, when we have so much confusion about what is real and what's not real, a transit like this, Mercury square to Jupiter, becomes a lot more substantive. Because we're living in such a mercurial world where we're all reading the news all the time, we're all we're getting fed data. And because of that, it intensifies and changes the influence of transits like this. So Mercury square to Jupiter is on a collective level, a time where we may be 
exposed to some sort of propaganda, some sort of half-baked idea, um, fake news, not to quote a turd, but fake news. It's a time where we may jump to conclusions or be told something or learn something that is based on someone else jumping to conclusions. Mercury square to Jupiter is not the most reliable source of data, right? So that sun square to Saturn, that actually grounds and solidifies things better. Unfortunately, it also inclines us to having fear-based or scarcity-based assumptions. So it can kind of go either way. And this is, you know, part luck, (laughs) part your nature. So if you read something or learn something that is impactful to you, source it, vet it. In other words, make sure it's true. Learning how to be a critical thinker is something, you know, I've talked about on the podcast a bunch and cannot be talked about enough. Cultivating critical thinking skills is an invaluable, invaluable tool for any person's toolkit. You know, whether you're doing it in a spiritual context or in a political context or just in the context of caring about other people and being a decent person. So Mercury square to Jupiter on more of a personal level, this transit, again, it can be gossipy, so gossipy. Here's the thing. Be careful what you say. You know, I've said this before as well, but I'm going to say it again. Everybody loves to gossip, but nobody likes being gossiped about. So, you know, just be just be a decent person. I mean, I'm not judging you. I am not judging you. I'm just saying Mercury square to Jupiter is absolutely inclined to make us gossipy. So you may be feeling gossipy or someone you talk to may be feeling gossipy. And because of the exact transits on the second that Mercury trying to Pluto and the Venus sextile to Neptune, you may want to just go along with things. Maybe you're feeling kind of shitty about yourself because of the sun square to Saturn. You'll definitely go along with things if you're feeling shitty about yourself. And then what? Will it come back to bite you in the butt? Will it just kind of sit gross inside of your system? I don't know. I don't know. I just want to encourage you to think about these things, you know, just think about them. So it could be a gossipy moment. People could be gossiping about you. You could be gossiping about them. It can also just be a time of jumping to conclusions. Now, best case scenario, right? Best case scenario, the combo platter of these four transits over these couple few days can actually incline you to start to focus on what is the most important to you, to being open to learning something and to doing the kind of investigation that is necessary, whether it's social or analytic, to learn something new. And to take all the steps, to not skip the steps, to take all the steps and to be interested and excited about the adventure of doing it. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you kind of act like a jerk because you feel shitty and you don't really think about how things impact others and you jump to conclusions. So with that, my loves, you shall do what you will. On the 6th, we have another exact transit. And the next two transits I'm going to tell you about on the 6th and the 8th are both from Venus, and they are hitting Pluto and Jupiter. So here we go. On the 6th, Venus forms a trine to Pluto. Again, much like the Mercury trine to Pluto, it is a lovely transit. We love it. Venus trying to Pluto is just an excellent time for catching feels for someone, for seeing somebody and having a spark with them. And because it's Venus instead of Mercury, that spark is less likely to be platonic. It's more likely to be romantic. And I want to just pull back to say 
When I say romantic, when I think of romance, I am not inherently talking about or thinking about sexual romance. Like, for sure, yes, that. But also, sometimes you meet a friend and they are just delightful and you become crushed out on them in a non-sexual way, right? So when I talk about romance, I'm talking about something creative and exciting that you just want to like chase down, right? Something that is somehow transportive and again, sensual, sense-based. So Venus trying to Pluto is excellent for that. If you are a creative person, uh, this is an excellent time for the arts in general, for making shit and being touched by and transported by creativity in general. On a more pragmatic level, because Venus is in earthy Taurus, this is a really useful time to look at your relationship to your values. What is it that you value? Who do you value? And how do you practically express that value? And this has everything to do with money. It's not exclusive to money, but for sure it's about money. It's about putting your finances where your values are, even if that is scary or risky, because again, Pluto's involved. So this might be a time to look at your investments if you are lucky enough to have investments. This is just a great time to really look at where you're putting what you own, your personal resources. That's Venus, right? It's like your money, your stuff, what you own, and making sure that it reflects what you most deeply care about and what you want to see grow. Because when we place our investments, Venus, into something that is inherently rotten, Pluto, that rot will eventually touch you. Weird. Cool. Interesting. One last thing I'll say about this before I move to the final transit of the week is that Venus trying to Pluto is a beautiful time to say I love you if you mean it. Don't be shy. You know, this we're in tough times. The Saturn Uranus fucking Mishigas in the background. You know, we had that sun squared Saturn earlier in the week. And also just the last several weeks have been a lot. And so I just want to gently remind you that this energy really the Venus sextile to Neptune, and then the transits that are exact on the 6th and the 8th. So certainly this week, but especially the second half of the week, is a great time to affirm your care and investment in the people that you care about and are invested in. And sometimes when we do that, we do it and it's like an interaction. It's like I tell you how much I appreciate you and you tell me how much you appreciate me and then we eat ice cream. And sometimes it's just sharing with others how you feel because it's authentic and life-affirming for you to do it and not necessarily because of what they'll say in return or what will happen next. That's a kind of like non-attachment to intimacy and authenticity that Venus really thrives with. So just throwing it out there. Now on the 8th, Venus forms a square to Jupiter. Now squares are tense transits or aspects, right? We know that. But a square between Venus and Jupiter, it's not so bad. Let me tell you, Venus square to Jupiter is fun. It's fun. It has you taking risks for the things that are fun. This can mean a really great makeout session. It could mean splurging on an article of clothing that makes you feel yourself. It could mean stumbling across a band that just fucking opens you up and you listen to a record that just explodes your brain. Yeah, I said record. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic or interpersonal, although it can be, you know. Venus squared to Jupiter is just fun with a little bit of a sexy twist. It's fun with a life-affirming twist. 
The only downsides associated with this transit are that you may jump to conclusions and, you know, decide that you have a feeling that you actually don't know if it's going to stick around or or it can inspire you to make proclamations or take actions that when the transit passes, you cannot or don't do not want to abide by. So be careful about your impulses here. The other thing is that it, it can stimulate off the rails hedonism. And so this can be a time where if you have tendencies to spend money in an unhealthy way, uh, imbibe any kind of a substance in an unhealthy way, any kind of excessive behaviors that are essentially sense-based, this transit will accentuate. So if you're dealing with addiction, if you have a tendency to overdo things, this transit is something to watch out for honestly. And it's not about being judgy or any of that kind of stuff. It's about recognizing how your own impulses function and bringing self-awareness to whatever it is that you see happening. Again, the cool thing about astrology and about you listening to this or any other horoscope that's substantive, right, is that you can use it as a tool to be like, okay, so I know that whenever I have strong feelings, positive or negative, I start buying shit I don't need. And then I create debt or I don't save. It's not like actually making my life better. I don't think I'm like investing in good things here. I'm just buying happy. Okay, cool. So then if you know this transit's coming, you can watch those impulses. You can know that they're likely to be stimulated, bring more self-awareness to those impulses and make better, more life-affirming choices in the moment. And maybe it's not going to be radically different for the long term of your issues, or maybe it is. Maybe this is a step towards achieving greater self-awareness and self-control of being able to have your behavior line up with your intention around the kind of person you want to be. It's kind of cool. It's not bad anyways. So watch out for that stuff. Venus square to Jupiter. That's the move right there. And my loves, that's your damn horoscope. We just covered May 2nd through the 8th of 2021. And I'm going to run down the transits. On the 2nd of May, Mercury is trying to Pluto and Venus is sextile to Neptune. On the 3rd, Mercury is square to Jupiter and the sun is square to Saturn. On the 6th, Venus is trying to Pluto. And on the 8th, Venus is square to Jupiter. And that's it, my nerds. That's it. As always, please do send me your questions about astrology in general or about whatever's going on in your life specifically over at ghostofapodcast.com. Follow me on social media for more midweek goodies. And if you want to learn more astrology, grab my book, Astrology for Real Relationships, Understanding You, Me, and How We All Get Along. That's it, my loves. That's it. I will talk to you next week. Bye. Every year they say the end is near.